Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, folks. It's Rick Wilson. And welcome to The Daily Beast's The New Abnormal. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, a left-wing pundit and editor-at-large at The Daily Beast. I'm also an editor at The Daily Beast, a former Republican political strategist, best-selling author, and full-time troublemaker. We're here to have fun, sharp conversations with some of the smartest people in media, politics, business, and science that help make what's happening in the country and the world clearer. I'll try to keep Rick to the minimum number of F-bombs and try to keep our kids, pets, and other wildlife sounds from invading our respective bunkers. Rick Wilson. Molly Jongfast. What the fuck is going on? That's a question that's so broad and professional that I think we have to narrow the narrow the the aperture here of our of our inquiry. Let's talk about the mango Mussolini. Must we? I guess we must. Yes, we must. Just for a minute. Just for a minute. Just because he is continuing his maniacal quest to be the most embarrassed president to lose Georgia for an 85th time. Did he lose Georgia again today? I think he lost it again today, or maybe it's tomorrow, but they're doing the final, like, final doubles to super secret probation, extra hand counter, machine counter, whatever it is. But I guess the thing about it is, at some point, the bullshit stops and there's no more chairs. It's over. And no one's going to get out of this thing with some deus ex douchebag Rudy miracle <laughs> or where he or, or, Oh my God, did you see that bat shit bug fuckeroo uh, event with, with you're talking uh, about Rudy Giuliani's magical mystery tour. Oh, I'm talking about the people that are even crazier. Lynn Wood, Lynn Wood and uh, Sidney Powell and CJ Pearson on that stage yesterday. Okay. So that was in Michigan, right? Or no, that was Georgia. That was Georgia. That's them trying to, ruin Republicans' chances to take the Senate. Are we even Breitbart is bashing Lynn Wood? It's amazing. And the Trump fucking rapid response dorks are bashing Lynn Wood. It's just like, serve me more of this delicious schadenfreude. (laughs) (laughs) I just am curious to know, so in Michigan... Rudy Giuliani, the president's free lawyer. And worth twice the price. <laughs> right, exactly. The president's free lawyer had a hearing where he brought with him a woman who needs no introduction. Jenna Ellis? No, yes, Jenna Ellis, but also the woman, the special uh, witness with the enormous hair. You mean the Victoria Jackson clone with Michigan's version of Texas high hair? It was amazing. Who was amazing. But you got to say... That catalog of people was so bonkers. It it felt like an SNL skit from the very beginning because you know the one woman is like they were wearing rhinestones. I didn't. I they made me feel nervous. Rhinestones? What the fuck are you talking about, lady? <laughs> and, and and these people were just giving these speeches, and it it just shows you there's a possibility that the entire right wing media bubble could be written by like fairly primitive artificial intelligence programs that just jam words together. And so they come out, they're like, socialist, gay, Sharia, abortion, pet lovers, Benghazi, deep state. 
Fart. She was drunk, right? Do we have we had any conversations about this? Uh, we have not talked about this, but I believe the the technical term the youth use is crunk. <laughs> because she was both crazy and drunk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, how, who lets himself go out in public like that thinking, wow, this is going to be a successful day for me. I'm going to defend democracy by coming out and acting like I'm 27 cosmos to the wind. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think Rudy noticed. Shockingly. I think Rudy's alcohol cloud may have already, she may have gotten a contact <laughs> drunk off of the whole yeah. thing. You know, they say drunk doesn't recognize drunk. Yeah, that was my take. So Trump is not at all deterred by this. Deterred? Are you making a joke about <laughs> Donald Trump's long-running I mean- set of comments about massive dumps? <laughs> And welcome to the new abnormal where we're going to have 12-year-old potty humor. I'm trying to keep it classy here. And if you have me trying to keep it classy, we're all in a lot of trouble. But Trump did do a Christmas party where he... Said crazy shit? Yeah, and said if he doesn't, he'd like to stay in January. But if that doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. So I don't know how that would happen. He'll be back in four years. And to which I say once again... Not great. To all those young geniuses in the U.S. Senate. Who believe they're going to be president in 2024? <laughs> Looking at you today, Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, <laughs> Josh Hawley, come on down. You're all fucked because Donald Trump's going to run for president again. And when Donald Trump finds that he's not going to be president the next time, he will immediately transfer the mantle to oldest son, and he will then run for president. And all of you guys that have been acquainting yourself with the scent of Donald Trump's ass and claiming it smells like huckleberries and rainbows for the last five years will understand that he fucked you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. It seems like there's no world in which Trump doesn't, if Trump wants it, he's the nominee. Absolutely. 100%, Molly. 100, 100 billion percent. Unless he's in jail. Unless he's in jail. But then again, you know, Lyndon LaRouche ran for president from jail several times. Right. And Berlusconi, I mean, there is a long and uh, there's a long and storied history of politicians running for jail, running from jail. Oh, very much so. No one is going to mistake Donald Trump in jail for anything more than a dying force in the political universe, except for all the Republicans who will think he's a political prisoner. He's being held. (laughs) It's worse than Gitmo. Donald Trump deserves so much better than this. Our greatest president. So her name is Melissa Calderon. Carone, right? The woman with the enormous hair. And she will ultimately be... She will ultimately be famous. I I have no doubt she's probably already up for her own show on OAN. (laughs) You want to know how you know it's bad? If you just type M-E-L, that's the autocomplete. That sucks. Yeah, that's not good. Her hair is amazing. I gotta say, her <laughs> hair is quite fabulous, but yeah, uh, but I it's also attached to all that crazy. <laughs> yes. Well, there's that. <laughs> so, Molly, in the list of the most surprising betrayals of Donald Trump, who would you have put on that list above Bill Barr? I can't think of anybody. No, I mean Devin Nunes. Maybe Eric. I we always go back to this. Eric's too dumb to be treasonous to his own father. <laughs> Anyway, so tell us what happened. Well, look, Bill Barr has apparently just gone ahead and refused to throw people in jail randomly or to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Obama's tan suit or whatever the fuck it is that's in Trump's (laughs) wacky brain case every day. And because of that, and because he said 
the, the, the fatal flaw now was, was he said, GOJ has not found any evidence of widespread voter fraud. Well, what's really happening here, the reason he's really pissed is not that Barr told the truth. It's that the truth interferes with the current Trump scamorama fundraising operation, which has raised $170 million, not for a legal defense fund, but for a Trump family super PAC. You go, <laughs> Magus. You go. <laughs> and by the way, my friend the Nigerian prince would like to speak to you about a briefcase full of money he has. <laughs> All you need to do is send your banking information to... And your social security. <laughs> right. To scam me at Nigeria.com. How do you think this keeps going? Well, this is the spinal tap line, okay? They're deliberately playing to a smaller and more, more selected audience. It's more, it's more curatorial now than, than performative. They're going to keep shrinking this this pool of people that believe that Trump is going to be president to it'll shrink from well in, in fact let me actually be more serious about this initially it was Republicans who felt you know Trump needed to fight then it shrank to Republicans who believe that Trump actually won but their eyes were open then it shrank to the Rube demo who believes Trump actually won and actually believes it for real despite all evidence to the contrary and then it's going to shrink to the conspiratorial people who say it was stolen. Donald was robbed. George Soros and the lesbian robot lizard people were all there <laughs> taking the votes, man. And that's where Rudy's clown show is. That's where that's where women, people like this, this Melissa Carone woman come into this equation now. There's no one who seriously believes this at all. And Barr saying it, unfortunately, there were a lot of people in the Trump world who had come to believe that Bill Barr was going to be essentially the, the, a suicide bomber for Trump at the end and do something you know miraculous to save him politically. And they also believed that he was going to have John Durham forever pursuing the malfeasance of the deep state cabal. <laughs> Sorry. That little leak about Durham was sort of interesting. Well, we're in kind of a hybrid reality now where Tom Fitton and Steve Bannon and Breitbart and the Federalist and the Gateway Pundit and all the fuckery on Parler, they still believe that Durham is going to come out with some report that exonerates Trump for everything and proves Obama did it and undo his presidency by by what? I, I don't know. And you know, put Obama and, and Clinton in jail. This is a fantasy that is pernicious, but it is also broad. This is not something that's just like a little bit of a few people on that in that Trump media space are into this. They're all into it. You know, it also I'm going to you know, ratchet back another you know, 10,000 feet here. One of the things about about Trump promulgating this was that he had an expectation from the beginning. Remember, I want my Roy Cohn. He wants his Roy Cohn to prosecute his political enemies. The same thing he is claiming falsely, of course. That happened to him. And it speaks volumes about both Trump and the current Republican Party that there are people in that space, you know, Matt Gates and Jim Jordan and dumbass Nunes and all these other people who truly think that if only the DOJ had been more corrupt for Trump, that we could have solved these solved these pesky political problems of people who were investigating Trump's obvious ties to Russia. It's very telling about who he was as a man and a president, that he believed that the Justice Department, quote-unquote, worked for him and should do his political bidding. And and now that Barr, who has done a lot of Trump's political bidding, by the way, he's not, he's, I'm not forgiving Bill Barr for any of his shenanigans, 
I think it's fair to say that he has really ruined himself for Trump. Someone should write a witty aphorism about it, but there is a <laughs> there is a degree to which my theory, which is now an iron law of the political universe, uh, certainly applies to Mr. Bill Barr. Right. It'd be curious to see if it applies to the, his children, Trump's children. Well, I think Trump's children will be hunted down like wild animals for the rest of their, their careers. They will never have a night's a night of rest in terms of being able to run for office or have a business. I think they're going to be hunted down forever. Explain to me. You don't think they're just going to run for office and take their place? They are going to run for office. That's what I'm saying. The only path out is for them to run for office and keep up that particular grift. I've said this before. I think you're going to see Ivanka move to Florida and Don Jr. will move to Montana or Wyoming or somewhere out west where he can run safely or in Dakota. Yeah, Dakota seems right. Exactly. It feels like there's going to be a stimulus bill getting done. Do we think this is possible? Well, I think Mitch McConnell is playing Stump the Chump once again. I think he is going to let it get to the near the finish line and go, ha ha, fuck you. Really? That's what I'm hearing is that this is just one more. This is one more negotiating tactic for Mitch McConnell to try to train wreck the economy before Biden takes office. Right. It seems impossible that Mitch McConnell will go along with this. But it also seems possible that like Trump will blow it up at the last minute. He very well could. That's really grim. America weeps for young Brad Pascal. You know, <laughs> prince of domestic violence. The tragedy of Brad Pascal, a Jacobean revenge play in three acts. Brad Pascal was doing what Trump world people have learned to do when they fear legal consequences for something. And what they've learned to do is to go on television and abase themselves to Trump and weep and cry about how awful that is. Not to be able to see the golden glow of his ethereal glory. Not to be able to touch the hem of his robe. Not to feel to feel the scrofula and leprosy leaving my body as Donald Trump allowed me to drink his spittle. In this fucking act that he was doing the other day, I'm just like, dude, have a little fucking dignity. Have like a shred, a microscopic shred of honor and dignity. Because going out there and like, I love that family. They've been everything. <laughs> Fuck you. Con artist. <laughs> Grifter. Scumbag. Tell us how you really feel. Half-naked jackhole getting shoved in the back of a police car. You know what? I've had some shitty times in my life, Molly. I've had some days in my life where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? But I have never been tackled shirtless in the street by the cops and then shoved into a cop car while I was weeping about not getting sex. Never had that day come. Hopefully never will. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a much more OG Florida man than Brad Parscale ever will be. Where do we see this Brad Parscale interview going? What was the goal there? Just to get back on television or? It was twofold, I think. It was to get back on television and to get back on Trump's radar screen because unless it happens on television, it's not real for Trump. I think that his desire to signal to the president that he was continuously loyal and would never and would never betray the family was also a little bit of a play to get back on Jared's radar screen. Because remember, Jared, he was Jared's pet. Right. But it hasn't been like we don't know where all that money went in the Trump campaign. Right. And nobody and that investigation hasn't started yet. That I am aware of. It has not started. Although the other investigation with Ivanka and the misappropriation of inaugural funds apparently has started and she has been deposed. 
Yes. She's not happy. She seemed very mad that they made her sit for five hours. They don't know how busy she is doing whatever it is she does. She's very busy being Ivanka Trump. Right. And not doing anything. So this makes a lot of sense that she was very mad that she had to sit there and be deposed. She's a person who should acquaint herself with long depositions and legal proceedings. That's just my theory of the case. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see, right? Well, Rick Wilson, you're in Georgia. What the fuck is happening in Georgia? I'm not in Georgia. I'm, I could throw a rock to Georgia from my house. You're basically in Georgia. I Seriously, I'm not kidding you. If I got in my car right now, I could be in Georgia in about four minutes. It's that close. Yeah, really? four, four, four to six minutes, I could be in Georgia. I could be in New Jersey in about an hour and a half. <laughs> That's, That's not true. Bad. I'm sorry. There's a question minutes. of purgatories. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're both the same. So what's happening in Georgia? Besides the fact that every day there's another uh, story about Dave Perdue and Kelly Loeffler trading stocks. I mean, the two of them, really, they both have, you know, hundreds of stock trades. He has thousands of stock trades, okay? Process that in your head for one minute. He's a goddamn day trader. How does he have time to be a senator? I know. Sadly, a lot of corruption stuff like this in the minds of most voters is now baked in the cake. Right, because Trump has normalized corruption. Oh, yeah, we're going to drain the swamp. It really worked out well for us. Yeah. <laughs> and and the idea of saying they're corrupt is, is correct and appealing. However, it is also the era we live in. No voter can afford to, like, waste too much time thinking, are they corrupt? They think they're all corrupt. And so we're in a situation where there's a, I don't want to say there's an undertone to it, but there's a sort of deeply held belief that every politician is corrupt. And when you see it exposed, a lot of voters are like, yeah, well, of course, of course he's doing, of course he's doing stock trades. Of course she's buying stock in a company with body bags. Of course she is because they just hate politicians. Can you blame them? No. I mean, yes, you can blame them, but they've been, I mean, I feel like there's a high level of trickery. There is. There's a lot of trickery. Are you seeing anything new in Georgia? Is there polling? Are we just never going to look at polls again? Are you seeing any movement on the ground? Right now, from from what we're hearing on the ground, the number of absentee ballots that have been requested so far should very much concern the Loeffler and Purdue campaigns. Right. However, it's still a hard race. Yeah. It's still Georgia. So everybody's got to have their eyes open on it, which is this is a pure turnout race. And and all the groups that are doing turnout in Georgia on the Democratic side need to keep that in mind. little free advice. They need to focus on a couple of underserved areas, communications-wise. Georgia has 750,000 veterans who've retired in the state of Georgia. 265,000 approximately of those are either African-American or Hispanic. They are not pro-Trump or pro-Republican voters. And probably be good to reach out to those people. Just saying. Just a little, just a little, just a little nudge, a little hint, a little clue. And as we look at the structure of this race, there's been a ton of money spent. There's going to be a ton more money spent. And we're probably going to be $300 million into this race by the time it's all over, which is crazy town. For two special elections and in, in, in what is now an off cycle, that is nuts. It also should not surprise you just how passionate and how high the stakes have become. Well, it's the control of the Senate. We put out an ad today from from Lincoln Project that said, you know, you won't see Mitch McConnell's name on the ballot, but it's there. And it's true. It's there. His name is on the ballot. This is a choice between, you know, do you give Mitch McConnell full control 
of the Senate, and where he has promised to block COVID aid and block Biden's appointments and block economic relief and block tuition reform and block every other thing in the world. And Mitch McConnell is the master of the political cock block in the Senate. He is the master of it, and he will exploit that to the absolute outer limit of human imagination. Or do you split the Senate, which is tougher, and a lot of people are not going to be happy about that, but you know that's really where it all comes down to at this point. It's a tough place to be if you were not acquainted with the fuckery of which Mitch McConnell is able to achieve. It's depressing. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is known for her roles on Veep, Seinfeld, and Saturday Night Live, among other things. And our returning guest, Dave Mandel, is the showrunner of Veep. First question, Julia, maybe you'll go first and then David. Veep is real? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Veep is real. It's a documentary and it's about real life. Were you just shocked that it all came true or no? Well, you know, we actually, from the very beginning, there was a lot of weird overlap with Veep from the get-go. I remember... For example, I think it was even in the pilot. I think if I'm remembering this correctly, my character, Selena Meyer, was trying to green up all federal buildings. (laughs) That was part of her sort of idea of a plan. And then, of course, she pisses off the plastics industry, (laughs) et cetera. And then so it became problematic for her. And then shortly thereafter, if memory serves, it was either... Barbara Boxer or Nancy Pelosi tried to do exactly the same thing. This was after we had shot it. And I don't even know at that point if we had actually been on air yet. And thus it began from the very beginning, the the overlap with what was going on in the real world was true and real and completely strangely coincidental. Didn't you find that to be the case, Dave? Yeah, it's also kind of horrifying because what we what we were setting out to do was always, you know, from a Veep standpoint, it was always the worst politician <laughs> and the worst <laughs> the worst staff possible. And so you're kind of trying to aim for this is possible but shouldn't happen. And then it right. turned out it was more than possible and it did happen and then in some cases in the last couple of years they kind of outdid us. They kind of they kind of yes and us like great improv. They kind of they they took what we did and then they they added to it on top and just made it worse. I mean, really just kind of incredible. And again, you're starting from a standpoint of like this character is the worst press secretary ever. And then it's like, no it isn't. You know, did you ever think that you would see? I mean, Kaylee McEnany, I mean, any of these people were they beyond satire even four years ago? 
I was just going to jump in and say, the funniest thing is, is we're only up to Kaylee McInerney now. It's like, do you remember when we thought it can't get any worse than Sean Spicer? <laughs> like, like just even within the administration, they keep outdoing themselves. It's kind of, it's incredible. Like, you're like, when you... When you say Sean Spicer, do you mean Dancing with the Stars, Sean Spicer? <laughs> Sorry, yes. And then soon to be Dancing with the Stars, Kaylee McInerney. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just insane. You're like, this guy is the worst they can't find any worse oh yes we can <laughs> and it's just it keeps going <laughs> so tell what is the project you guys are doing now when there was an issue about counting ballots and not counting ballots all coming out of the uh trump white house we got of course a lot of yeah because it's an episode of veep it's an episode of veep yeah it's an episode from by the way the fifth season of veep so many years back <laughs> Yes. And during the election, leading up to the election, Dave and I worked together a number of times raising money for various, you know, the Wisconsin Democrats, the Texas Democrats, various candidates and so on. But we did these reunions of sorts. We did it with Veep and then we did it with the Seinfeld friends. And anyway, now we've got this big election coming up in Georgia and we thought, oh, let's do it again. And what a golden opportunity to read the very script that seemed to become reality the last couple of weeks. Let's read that, a sort of an uncut version of it, and raise funds for America Votes in Georgia, which is all about informing, educating voters, and encouraging voters to request their mail-in ballots, because that's something they have to re-register for for this election. So they're on the front lines of getting out the vote, and we thought, oh, what a this, what a there's no better way to support them but and do, by doing this, and we'll have a good time at the same time. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, the Trump administration sort of picked the episode for us. Um, <laughs> yes. They, uh, they helped us choose. We were like, which one should we do? And they were like, how about this one? So <laughs> we, uh, we, we did that, and uh, it's been really fun because uh, we've got the entire Veep cast back together, and then we've thrown in a whole bunch of extra special guests, so like uh, Mark Hamill and Stephen Colbert, uh, Patton Oswalt, a whole bunch of people are jumping in, uh, Kumail Nanjani. Uh, they're all jumping in to kind of play like these small little extra roles just to be a part of the thing. And it's uh, you just go to showupforgeorgia.com and you can sign up for it. It's Sunday uh, at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and it's going to just be really fun. It's just honestly, uh, I think it's going to really amaze people when they actually watch or I guess rehear the whole episode about how much of it did come true because it was really not just the count don't count but the district or the the, the region that we name in Nevada uh, it just it got really specific in a really almost creepy way so it was kind of, kind of great yeah yeah I was gonna say it's it has an eerie quality to it actually but anyway <laughs> Yeah, it'll be fun. Do you think that you guys will do more political satire? I mean, how and also how would you even do it since the real world has sort of eclipsed the satire? Well, there's always an opportunity for satire. And we're hopeful that with the Biden administration, you know, things will sort of settle down and then we can be the outrageous ones, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it requires a baseline of normalcy. And if we can get back to that, <laughs> if we can get back to a time where you're not thinking about the president every six minutes, I think maybe we can get back to some uh, some good old fashioned political satire. But uh, yeah, they uh, they made it difficult. They really uh, they raised the bar on on stupidity on a daily basis. So it was very hard to out stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Were you guys happy with the last episode? Very. Because I thought it was so interesting 
Like you always want as a as an avid television watcher myself, I always want to know what's going to happen. So I was sort of thrilled that you kind of really showed us what happened. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> but, it was, you know, but I'm curious to know, you don't think you'll ever, that it will come back for us, please. <laughs> oh, Veep? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's something that we've, we've certainly discussed it. I don't know. Everybody's sort of gone off now and everybody's doing other projects and so on. But I don't... I don't uh, rule it out entirely doing some sort of Veep-related thing. I mean, there there's an area that we could jump back into. I think Dave and I have talked about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we left just enough sort of like there's some time jumps in there that you could definitely... Uh, go back into. Yeah, you could kind of color in and answer a couple of questions. So I think, right. uh, I think anything is possible. <laughs> That's amazing. What do you think is going to happen now with politics? Where do you see this universe going now it's all going to work out perfectly (laughs) (laughs) i feel super super helpful (laughs) I, i don't know man i mean i just all i can tell you actually from a hope point of view every time biden speaks and he just speaking for myself just hearing him speak like an adult in the room and putting people in his cabinet who seem to actually have a skill set that <laughs> applies to the job they're, they've been given. It makes me feel more calm. And I'm glad he's in charge of this hideous pandemic once he becomes in charge, because, you know, that's, I mean, obviously the top order of business. And I don't see Biden running off to play golf in the middle of all of this. I just don't think that that would square with him. So I actually am hopeful, although I realize that there are 70 million people out there who voted for Donald Trump, and and that's problematic uh, for us. But uh, hopefully, somehow, things settle down. That's all I'm going to... I mean, it's just the most stupid answer ever. I've been on the internet a lot lately, and my understanding is that there was a lot of corruption and illegality in this last election. (laughs) So... I'm hoping that uh, Republicans never vote again because these are very illegal elections. That's my, again, I've been told by the president these are illegal. Do not vote. Do not vote in Georgia, especially. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But uh, that's that's I think what everyone's plan should be, especially if you're a Republican. Yeah, you and Lynn Wood. <laughs> yeah, deep state operative Lynn Wood. I was curious if you guys have ever had like somebody in politics come up to you and say, make like a suggestion or say you, you didn't go far. Oh, you should do this. Has there ever been a moment where they tried to inception in something to you guys? It must've been right. Well, I can tell you that we've had people all the time to this day, come up to us and say, Oh my God, my boss is Selena Meyer or that the chief of staff is is Dan Egan or (laughs) what. I mean, they're always identifying a character from the show that they work with. But I don't remember anybody actually pitching. Do you, Dave? Pitching stuff to us about not a, not a lot of pitching. I mean, it's funny. It, this is this is a thing I think maybe that's just true about comedy in general. Is anytime you're sort of talking to like a real politician, the stuff that they think is funny is not 
wasn't particularly funny. But then when they're just telling you the stuff that they don't think is funny, that's when they actually tell you really interesting, funny stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yes. they'll go on and on and on. This is hilarious. And you're just like, no. And then they tell you about like some bill they pass and you're like, wait a second, that's the story. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just, uh, just that's how it kind of works. <laughs> That's amazing. There have always been rumors that some of the uh, characters are based on, like, some stories actually happened. Yeah, we get into a lot of trouble with that one. There was, uh, <laughs> I won't get into names, but we did a we did a joke about... Uh, the leg shaving? The leg shaving, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It se- seemed to get a lot of people very angry in a very <laughs> funny way. <laughs> That's so fascinating. All right. So the event is, will you give us the website and everything so people will go to it? Yes. It's showupforgeorgia.com. And you can just go on there and click on it and donate any amount. And then you can be a part of the very exclusive uh, Veep Uncut uh, reunion table read on Sunday. That is so cool. Yeah, Sunday, Sunday, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, showupforgeorgia.com. And you can literally give a dollar if you want, although we hope you give a little more. Are you guys going to do it like as a real table read with people all together in a room? No, we're going to do it all on Zoom, everybody in their own spaces, but we're going to... But full on table read, script top to bottom with like a little break in the middle, but the full table read. And, and in fact, the reason we're calling it Veep Uncut is I've been going over the original draft that we shot and kind of adding back a couple of little things that got cut for time that were really funny but just you know you're trying to make a half hour show and our shows our rough cuts were always you know like 45 minutes so there's a there's some extra stuff which will be really fun too so if you know the episode really well you'll get some bonus stuff oh cool that is very cool thank you thank you thank you oh thank you so much guys it's always really fun yeah One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out 
how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience. And it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries. And it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part? You can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal. Before we get into things, we have a fun little treat. There are so many insane things happening in the world right now, and two episodes a week just aren't enough to cover it all. So, The New Abnormal is going to release a limited-run series of bonus interviews over the next few weeks for Beast Inside members only. We'll release a new one each Sunday, but listen carefully. Only Beast Inside members will have access to these. So, head over to thenewabnormal.thedailybeast.com to become a Beast Inside member now. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com. Matt Turnauer is the director of the Showtime limited series, The Reagans. He's also directed documentaries like Where's My Roy Cohen and Valentino, The Last Emperor. Hi, Matt. Hi. So excited to have you. So how did you decide to make this documentary on Reagan? Because it feels so apropos, but... It's interesting. Something that's been on my mind for a long time. I've always thought that Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan, the the series is called The Reagans, very purposefully, were misunderstood, misinterpreted by the media, got a free ride in the media, and uh, were master manipulators and myth makers. And they were also great salespeople, especially Reagan was a great salesman. So media star salesman president that equation should sound familiar to most of your Mm -hmm. listeners Mm -hmm. so it seemed like uh an apropos time to look at something that happened in the 80s that i think laid the foundation i was really really surprised at how well ronald reagan jr came off isn't he wonderful Yeah. Can we talk about this for a minute? Because it's just so interesting to think of like a kid of a president, like actually pushing back against them. I don't think it's ever happened, frankly. You know, Patty Davis, his sister, was rebellious in the moment. But not in a politically targeted way, the way Ron was. That's right. So we did an eight hour interview in Seattle. It was on the eve of the pandemic. The first cases in Seattle had been heavily reported, and we went up there. It was among the last uh, in-person interviews we were able to do. And we sat up in a hotel, and he came and stayed for, I think we were sitting in the chairs for eight plus hours. And I just found him astonishing then. And then when we started to cut it in, his insight, his candor, his analysis, are staggering, but you're right. I don't think a child of a president has ever been so candid about their parents, but I think his parents are really confusing. 
And I can imagine being their child. He wrote a very good book that gave me some clues as to where he would go with this. It's called My Father at 100, which is kind of a sentimental title, but the book is not that sentimental. And it seemed to me, I, I mean this as a compliment to him, that he's had hours and hours of psychotherapy yeah. to work through what he experienced and who they were. And that's really was my mission as well, uh, the who they were part. And he gave us the best insight. Yeah, it was totally fascinating. It's funny because it's like I spent, we spend so much time thinking about like what Trumpism is. And then it, and it's always Nixon is the like closest comp. But you really see in this that actually in a lot of ways, Reagan engaged in a lot of fuckery. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Nixon is a villain in a box. And the American media loves to pigeonhole and caricature. And they love a narrative. And Nixon is turnkey, obviously. Reagan was everything Nixon wasn't in terms of a media president. And he was turnkey for the media in that way. He was an experienced movie star, radio star, and television star. And he knew how to play to the media. I spend a lot of time in the first part of this uh, going over the fact that he was tutored at the elbow of Jack L. Warner, the founder of Warner Brothers. He was a Warner Brothers contract player. Then he was taken up, and this is forgotten history, by Luella Parsons, who was one of the two most famous powerful gossip columns of the time. And she made him uh, a kind of special project. They were from the same small town in Illinois, and Reagan had a lot of good luck in his life, and that was one stroke of luck. And then Nancy Reagan was out of MGM. She had a contract at MGM. So the, I call the first part the Hollywood myth machine because they were tutored by the either the studio heads uh, or the publicity department or the publicity mavens of Hollywood at that time. There was no more disciplined image factory than that. So they came fully packaged for the media, and the media was very susceptible to it. In, in a congruent way, Trump performs the same role. The media cannot stop. They cannot stop, and they cannot figure out how to frame him. And the Reagans was, were a much more simpler and less uh, immediately dangerous uh, situation for the media, but they definitely flunked. And Leslie Stahl, who uh, is all through this series, I think is quite candid and quite uh, good in her analysis yes. of what was happening to her at the time. But that's the origin of what happened. I, I do want to add one more thing about the Nixon versus Reagan and the way the media uh, talks about it. I mean, really, historians talk about it and the context of it all. It frustrates me still and has for the entire uh, Trump period that... Reagan is not called out for his dog whistle racism and for the tendencies that he abetted uh, in the Republican Party toward authoritarianism, mm. which were very mm. much present there. And also his absolute wreckage of the American economy and the invention of what we now call the 1%. All yeah. of that's really on his shoulders. But it's very, very common for historians and media figures of great authority and uh, impeccable credentials to absolutely pass over Reagan and his legacy. And it yeah. really baffles me. And it's absolutely okay still for pop figures in our culture to worship Reagan. Yeah. 
That's astonishing. It's baffling. I want to just pay you the compliment for the listeners to hear, too, that the way you illustrated his dog whistle racism in this, I am a very unmoved man, and I stood up and applauded alone in my uh, living room because you did it so well. It was truly incredible. In his own words. Yes, that's what was so good. I'm curious to know, I thought Leslie Stahl was really amazing, too, and and totally fascinating. I I know Kitty Kelly for a long time because she was friends with my mom, and I thought the use of her was sort of brilliant. (laughs) Well, I'm a big fan of hers. I you know, I think if Kitty Kelly had been Keith Kelly writing those books, I think she would be uh, venerated. And I think it was part of the sexism of the time. I think she was very ahead of her time in terms of journalism. She was doing what Vanity Fair and now, frankly, The New Yorker does and a lot of long form outlets do where they put the human story and what might be called the good stuff, uh, you know, things that are uh slightly gossipy, but really contribute to the the portrait in the book. Yeah. And it's nothing really that uh, Edmund Morris, who was uh, Reagan's starchy official biographer, did in his own way. So Kitty Kelly speaks wonderfully in this and has incredible insight, and she's the most amazing researcher. If you look at her books, she has, because she was under so much fire, I think, and, and so much criticism for the type of journalism that she was doing, which was really, I think, in a form, uh, new journalism, but it was it was always pigeonholed as, as being too gossipy. But I, I reject that characterization. Anyway, her books, the, the footnotes in her books are more voluminous than they are in a David McCullough book. I mean, they're, so they're wonderful resources. And she was completely photographic in her memory of all of the insights she had first to Nancy Reagan, because her biography came out right after the administration had ended. Now, Leslie Stahl, I don't think a lot of people realize that Leslie Stahl is such a superstar now. She was already a superstar in the 80s, but in the record I was looking at in, the, in all the footage from the administration, she was in the front row for everything. I mean, she was there every minute of that, and as the lead White House correspondent for CBS News. And yeah. her analysis, uh, I think, is quite candid and very valuable because she admits that they weren't quite realizing what was happening to them at the time, that the manipulation of Reagan and his peculiar talents, which at that time were new, the performer president, the movie star who then transformed into president and was playing the president. It really was, a, I think, a kind of fog of war situation for the press. And yeah. Uh, she she depicts that so brilliantly. Related to that, a lot of people have prescribed that we live in this age of authenticity and that, like, you can't have the facade of Reagan anymore, that he was just such absolute acting bullshit, whereas Trump is this authentic Fox News grandpa who rage tweets the television all day. Do you have any feelings about, like, the evolution of that and, like, what you see with Reagan with that? If you want to quickly understand Reagan, look at 30s and 40s Hollywood movies. That's a really good point you have in the movie. I think it's essential to understand. And, you know, Americans, no one likes old movies. You know, so I, I love old movies. The America that was invented in Hollywood in the 30s and 40s is a fake America. But that's Reagan's America. And Reagan is a confounding figure in many ways. And one of the ways he's confounding is that he actually believes this bullshit. And in a certain sense, it's, it's rather quaint. But if he had stayed in Hollywood as a kind of B-list, 
that's Jimmy Stewart in retirement, the old movie star, TV star, whose career slowly faded, who actually believed all the hokum that Jack Warner and Louis B. Mayer was producing that entertained billions over the years would be a, a wonderful, quaint little story. But yeah. this man became president of the United States. He takes a belief system that's based on Andy Hardy movies and Frank Capra movies and the really bad movies that he was in that were the B versions for the most part of those movies. And he starts applying it to the body politic. This is a terrifying story of what can happen here. And then what we get and why I think it's especially fascinating to, to look at this uh, now through the prison of then and vice versa is someone who's a fading media star in the new forms of media, reality TV and uh, the web, and playing a particular part that's obviously much coarser, but is absolutely playing into the needs of the media consumer at the time. So I think in context, they're both interesting. I think they're both very influenced by the media industrial complex in which they had to live and operate and succeed. You grapple with this, and I'm curious to know what your hot take on this is. I always thought that Reagan was just dumb. <laughs> I love that question, and I love how short it is. <laughs> right? <laughs> can, 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 can I lead it, though? That you, you just said that he believed the bullshit, but there's times when I watched this documentary that I was like, oh, he knows better than this bullshit, that this fucking the worst thing the government could do is how could I help you thing that he played up. In the movie, you sort of imply that maybe he doesn't, that he doesn't totally yeah. understand what he's doing. Yeah, that's where I was Yeah, going we're going to let you talk now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. Well, this is a, this would be a great back and forth to have. I, first of all, the first question you asked, was Reagan dumb? Yes and no. Right. Have you ever seen the movie Being There? Yes. Peter Sellers? Of course, yes. yes. Of course. <laughs> okay. Well, but what do you think we are? I mean, we're uh, educated folk. <laughs> so, you know, Peter Sellers plays a, a, a sort of, uh, I don't know what the PC term for it is anymore, but he's a, a slow man, a special needs person. I think the, the proper term is Dan Quayle. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Sellers as Dan Quayle is, that's quite a mind bender. But uh, he, he is uh, an empty person who people read into, and eventually they read into him so much that they start to contemplate a run for the presidency for him. And there's a bit of that with Reagan, where he knew what he knew. Uh, and I think he was of probably average intelligence. And I think he, as he uh, got older, he became more and more lazy and uh, uncurious. So... I think that's where his intellect was, but that is one type of IQ. You know, the emotional intelligence of Reagan, I think, was off the charts. And the ability to relate uh, where it counts for an important national politician was total. So he could make friends with the camera. His technical skills and his delivery was impeccable, and he had 30... 40 years of experience doing that, kind of connecting through the, the fisheye lens of the, of the camera. And his marks for that are off the charts. So, you know, you have to 
take all the different types of intelligence and, and put it together. I think Reagan had a fixed belief system that was school of Jack L. Warner. Right. And you could not break him out of that. And his own son told me in off camera, he, or it's not in the film at least, he knew what he knew, but he does, Ron Reagan Jr. does this extraordinary scene, if you will, where he talks about how if you tried to talk sense into your father, Ronald Reagan, uh, he would hold up his hands and kind of push, make a pushing away gesture after listening for way too short a time and say, well, all I know is, and he pushes away physically and Ron Jr. says, he's trying to push away reality and push away what makes him uncomfortable. And if you look at Reagan through that lens and you look at his belief system and his little world, from which he controlled everyone's world. That's the truth of Reagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely, I mean, that was a totally fascinating scene and, and incredible. Do you have any tips on how to avoid how the media sort of failed covering Reagan? You see that in the in the doc. Yeah, so I think the failure was structural in a lot of ways because the timing of the segments on the evening news. Now, remember, there are three networks, basically, kind of four, if you count emerging CNN at the time. And CNN really was in its infancy, so I don't think you can fully count it. The length of the stories on the evening news, which captured the attention of almost every viewer in America, became shorter and shorter and shorter throughout the 80s. And the analysis, the, sorry, the analysis the, and the, the quality of the analysts on television, with few, a few exceptions, became worse and worse and worse. So those people didn't exist anymore. People like Eric Severide, who was a you know, the kind of godhead of CBS News, even above Walter Cronkite, he would do a commentary every night on the CBS Evening News. That all ended in that period. What you're left with are very short, soundbite-filled evening news segments, which bear a relation to what we have now. But if you look at them in the 80s, they seem interminable. They seem like, you know, they're three and a half minutes. Now a TV news segment is a minute, if you're lucky, or a minute and a half. So this dumbing down of the information uh, funneling that went into the right into the, the brains of every America uh, played in perfectly to the Reagan media strategy because they were very consciously making pictures and they were cutting in the camera, if you will. So Mike Beaver and Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan himself were all determined to package the evening news segment and just let the cameras roll. And by the time the network editors were done, the Reagan message got across in visuals. And the televised presidency of Reagan was something that the networks had been waiting for since JFK was shot. The TV was TV news was in its infancy at that time. So Reagan's timing for that was absolutely perfect. And I think that that naivete and that stage of the development of the network news formats helped Reagan enormously. There's one thing I'd add that I noted, which was, this is entirely related to today, that Cronkite did a news segment in 81, I think, or very early in the Reagan period, where he said that Reagan lied and that his consistently lied. 
and that his economic figures were lies. Now, they didn't use the word lie, and Cronkite framed it in the term a little short on truth, <laughs> which was pretty good for the time, but they let him get away with lying every day. And th that should remind you of now as well. So have we not learned how to uh, corral these uh deceitful figures who rise to the highest levels of our politics. It's fascinating. A lot of people see Trump's embrace of the alt-right and QAnon as a new decline, but Bush embraced anti-gay and anti-abortion wackos, and you show Reagan's embrace of the John Birch Society. Could you explain to the audience, because, like, I just could not grasp, even though you show it clearly, why he did that. I think he was a right-wing crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that your scientific hot take? Or, yeah. That is my political science take. I think that's a great question. And again, you know, Gore Vidal, my mentor, used to call this the United States of... Well, yeah, so, so Gore Vidal called this the United States of Amnesia. And, you know, I, I worked at Vanity Fair for years... And Gore Vidal wrote stuff. I edited him at Vanity Fair. And I remember Graydon Carter at Vanity Fair. He's like, I hate this United States of Amnesia thing. Like, get him off that. He keeps using it. And I was like, yeah, it's a little wooly, but okay. But now I'm thinking, my God. He's a what genius. What truer words were ever, what truer phrase was ever coined about the United States now that we're living in the, you know, let's hope, post-fascist uh, corrective era of Trump. But what people must realize as we start to try to grapple with the really dangerous uh, mass hysteria of QAnon is that past was utterly prologue. The John Birch Society was the 1.0 of QAnon. It was a right-wing fever swamp of conspiracy that had captured the soul of the conservative rightist movement in this country, much to the horror of a lot of ambitious conservatives at the time. And they... There were efforts to drive them out of the party, and Bill Buckley took a lot of credit for this. But the conservatives who were uh, intent on winning elections always nodded and winked to the John Birch Society, right. and Reagan was one of them. He never renounced the John Birch Society, and footnote, he never renounced the Ku Klux Klan endorsement until at least a month after it, and Trump did the same thing. Now, Reagan was, if you think he was stupid, he was, I think, on many levels, not intelligent, but he had a great instinct for politics and he right. knew how to win, which is why Republicans love him, because they love that he knew how to win. And the way he knew how to win was by playing to the worst instincts of people, their racism and their conspiracy fever swamp fantasies. And later on in the 1980s, to the wingnut religious right to which he pandered utterly and invented the, as Ron Reagan Jr. calls it, unholy alliance between the moral majority and the Republican Party. This was all under Reagan. So you have a QAnon equivalent, you have dog whistle, what we would now in, in many contexts call foghorn racism on his yeah. part. You have that type of flirtation with the Klan, all these things that we say are norm-shattering under Trump, Reagan was absolutely doing and doing very effectively because he built a new Republican Party coalition that way, which yeah. is why 
the respected pundits on the right, I won't name names here, but they know who they are, who became never Trumpers and or are wonderful in the media on it. I mean, they're much better than the Democratic spokesman. Right. But they did build it. Yes, but they embrace it and they never cite Reagan ever. Right. As a norm breaker. They're shocked at Trump's <laughs> norm breaking. And Richard Nixon gets dragged through the mud, obviously deservedly so. But Reagan is immune. It's so fascinating. Rick Wilson, yes. who is your fuck that guy? Hold on, I will tell you. There's so many good choices. You know, that is the problem. Okay, mine's going to be uh, Newt Gingrich. It's a returning favorite, but always a good one. Yeah, Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich tweeted this morning, Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell are totally destructive. Every Georgian conservative who cares about America, which of course none of them do, must vote in the runoff. They're their don't vote strategy will cripple America. This from the man who crippled America, who quite literally crippled America, right? Indeed. The fuckery level of Newt Gingrich just never stops. I mean, I love that he's still, like, terrorizing the Pope. Right? Like, what kind of subversive asshole do you have to be to send Newt Gingrich and his 27th wife to the Vatican. Like, oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah, the wisdom of sending the, the family Gingrich to the Vatican was, look, I get that Newt played a valuable role for Trump in 2016 by going on Fox and saying, why, of course he's a normal Republican. Why wouldn't he be? Look, look at me, I'm a perfect judge. <laughs> you know, <it> was like, <laughs> what? The, 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 the guy who spent his remaining campaign money uh, to make a hit uh, commercial on Mitt Romney not being a good Republican. Right? Yeah. I mean, Jesus, exactly. Louise. Rick Wilson. I would like to extend a hearty fuck that guy to the clown car of idiots who came out in Michigan yesterday on behest of my former boss, Rudolph Giuliani. <laughs> but these people are now going to be a group addition to our mandatory formation. Required by, as I love to say, until you're tired of it, state and federal law and international treaty, to today's fuck that guy. These people, on the one hand, you don't want to discourage civic participation. On the other hand, <laughs> civic participation is not going out and screaming crazy shit at the top of your lungs and hoping to make it real. The earth is not flat. Bigfoot is not real. UFOs do not put probes up your ass. None of these things happen. Nor are there wildly lavish and baroque conspiracies to steal votes, to have thugs throw people out of counting rooms, etc. And the performative nature of Trumpism is expanding, and these people now feel perfectly free to go out in public and say completely batshit crazy things. And while their First Amendment rights completely cover that, they are absolutely entitled under the First Amendment to do that, I am entitled to say, fuck you guys. <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast, and he's the Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 